So for the debut episode of Pre-Pro, we had Bradley Smith, a motorbike rider that went to Grand Prix at 15 years of age. So for uh, the next motorbike racer, I thought no better than a guy that had a completely different uh, path to Grand Prix. Didn't make it there until he was nearly twice Bradley's age. It's uh, Northern Ireland racing legend, Jeremy McWilliams. How's she gotten, Jeremy? It's just dead on. No, it's dead on, yeah. Uh, all going, all good. Um, yeah, that is a surprise when you hear that, you know, Bradley started at 15. Yeah, I was 29 when I got into GPs. Yeah, that's a completely different era. And that's what is interesting to compare how you, uh, you made it through. So I know later in your career, I uh, know quite a bit of it whenever I was a fan following you as a kid. We're going to go right back to the start then. How it all began back when you started out riding uh, bikes. Bradley was doing motocross as a kid, but you you didn't do any off road riding. Did you first start riding at what age? Well, yeah, probably sort of fifteen, fourteen, fifteen on off road, just on you know, just basically tearing around fields on on scramblers as we called them back then, <laughs> and. Uh, just not any, really anything other than interested in motorcycles, but no aspirations to go racing at that time. It was just purely save everything you had up and go and buy an off-road motorcycle. That's that's how I got into it. Yeah, and that's what's completely different to to Bradley's story in a way that he he could see that racing could be a job. Whenever you uh, were ripping around on a scrambler, did you even know that you could ride motorbikes and make money for it? No, I used to dream about riding motorcycles on the bus on the way home from Ballyclare Secondary School, you know, just dreaming about riding in the, in motocross in the fields, and that's all I, 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 I wanted to do. Um, just wanted to make enough money that I could go and buy a motorcycle. Couldn't really care less about what kind of job I was going to get or where I'd end up or how I'd end up making this money to <laughs> to, to fulfil the dream. But... Uh, Luckily, you know, when I left school, I got a job. I, I went and spent my time as a, an electrician. I trained as an electrician and um, moved from elect, uh, into electronics quite early on, like 21, 22. Started, you know, got into CCTV, which was a, a huge thing here in Northern Ireland because of the, because of the security issues, as, as you can guess. So, so we were working basically flat out many, many hours at that. And that was kind of, um, you know, fueling the, the my the coffers to, to go and buy motorcycles and stuff. And that's really how I got into it. I didn't really think I could race motorcycles. I, I didn't know how you'd even get into racing motorcycles. And probably how it happened is that the road that we're sitting on right now was our, was our test track. You know, I bought a house on the road that we used to race up and down when we were probably in our like late teens, early twenties, and at that time, all we were doing was you know having a race from that end of the road right down to the humpback bridges at, at, at the bottom of the Ballycraigie Road, and that's where we kind of, I suppose, you know, learnt our how, how to how to how to ride fast. That quickly brought up its own issues because you know, one of the mates hit a cow killed a, a cow and the farmer wasn't too happy about that and another one you know went through a hedge and kind of thought well that's probably not the best idea maybe we want to try and get on to circuits and on a Sunday we worked out that our local race circuit here I'll better not name it but our local race circuit here was left open 
that <laughs> wasn't being used. So, so we used to nip in there when nothing was happening on a Sunday. And after church, after church, of course, yeah, because there's no racing allowed here, as you know, in, That's right. in Northern Ireland on a Sunday. So uh, it it was it was pretty empty after church <laughs> or chapel or wherever you went, but. That's that, that that that's really how we got the taste for it. So a couple of mates were racing, and I decided, you know, well, if they could race, you know, maybe I should be racing too. And because we were all about the same level, they were racing on roads. Uh, George Higginson and Ian King, uh, he's sadly no longer with us, but you know, real good friend, real real really good road rider, road racer, and uh, that's that's how it happened. Really, just by kind of it, it was more by accident than than anything else. But where did the interest come from initially then, do you think? Because your parents, your dad and his family weren't into to racing at all then? Did something spark your interest then as a kid watching uh, Grand Prix on TV or the Irish road racing scene? Yeah, I used to watch, uh, I used to go up the Nuts Corner and up to the Grand Prix and uh, actually, you know, I used to watch Michael Swan, as you'll, you'll know him well, mm. local uh, Irish championship winner many times and... Johnny Ray, Jonathan Ray's father, uh, Alan Irwin, you know, <laughs> Glenn Irwin's father, um, Glenn and Graham and Andrew, and basically all the, all of those guys were were leading the championships at the time. Brian Reed, so it, it, there was a really really good um, competitive scene here at the time. Lots of really the, the, the short circuit scene was actually really buzzing. Plenty of competitors, lots of spectators. Uh, we used to go to the Ulster Grand Prix. I remember, you know, having to stay up at it, sleep overnight, and intense, you know, and the, and, the, and the place was 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 rammed, to just to go up and watch the Ulster Grand Prix, and I think that's that's what we got got an interest for it. You know, not really just even at that point thinking that for one day I'd ever make a living out of. I thought if I could ever get to ride uh, my my motorcycle round Agadui. Kirkiston or Mandela Park, you know that would have, that would have been a, a you know a dream come true, and that's that's what we did one day. One day bought a van off off um, um, local rally driver here and bought a motorcycle the same day, production three fifty Yamaha, and went and borrowed a pair of George Higginson's leathers and went to Mandela Park, borrowed somebody's helmet and somebody else's pair of boots, you know, because it didn't have enough to buy everything, but. Went down and managed to to get a race and finished fifth in the first race, you know, at Mandela Park. And I was twenty three years of age then, so very very late to be starting and trying to make a career of it. You know, there was no intention at the time to make a career. It was just it was just to go over, have a bit of fun over the weekend, have a, a two day meet. Uh, that's incredible to start that late, but that was different times. Everything has gotten younger now, but. Um, Whenever you started racing then, you did the circuits here in Ireland, you started with <laughs> borrowed hand-me-down kit. I think that's something we all probably did in Ireland because one thing about the Irish, we're all hospitable. Yeah. I don't think any of us had our own name printed in the back of our leathers in the first year because you always uh, borrowed somebody's kit. But did you um, then uh, get the bug and end up committing to a full season or just do a race here and there? Well, I had to get go and get those leathers repaired a few times to give them back. Did you crash? <laughs> I did, yeah. Actually, the first year that I raced and did all of the meetings was the year after. Uh, changed that 350 for a slightly better F2, power valve F2, uh, Yamaha 350, and raced just in the production class. And um, 
still to this day I think well, it has to be a record but I, I, I crashed more than any other rider in the championship and won it <laughs> so I, I'm not sure how that happened but that, that was the stat they gave me whenever they handed me the trophy at the end of the year I had managed to crash more than anybody <laughs> still, still <laughs> win the championship and then you know things kind of took off a little bit from there you know a local um, sponsor gave me a, a 350TZ which was quite an old bike at that time to race in the, in the at that time there was still a 350 class just around at the time where things were moving over to 250 raced in the 350 class and then won that as well and so you were winning right out of the blocks that's the thing so there was clearly potential as well yeah but I mean here it's, it's an Irish championship yeah and we were racing against you know as I said, the, the the classes were pretty busy back then. You know, you know the the, the riders back then would have been, uh, you know, Les McMaster in the three fifty class, and as I said, all those riders I mentioned before were all still racing uh, on circuits, and we had a lot of the English riders coming over, over the next couple of years that I raced here. You know, the Jim Moody's and the Bram Morrison's and uh, um, you know Jimmy Whittams, and they were all coming over here and racing the big meetings. So it was a. a it, it, it was a busy little scene at the time and it was before I started to dip my toe in the water on on that side and in on the mainland side in the UK I tried to win the you know the championship here that that, that went to plan and then you know luckily after the 350 Queen's University came on board and offered me a 250 Yamaha so Professor Robert Fleck at the time, if you remember, uh, Professor Blair, you know, they, they were running the mechanical engineering department and uh, a lot of two-stroke development back then. And I was just the luckiest man in the world ever to get a, a 250 Yamaha out of them, you know, sponsored to go and race. Uh, wanted, they wanted to, uh, to, well, to race here also because we wanted to win the Irish Championship and selected uh, British Championship rounds. And picked up a couple of wins, you know, and at Brands Hatch and the like on on the two fifty and what was back then the Super Cup days. So I was still running a production bike, and the the main focus turned to that two fifty. Had two years of that, you know, won the Irish Championship on it again here, and uh, raced in some selected European rounds, and really that's how the I, I guess we grabbed the attention of Joe Miller over over. Those those years would have been ninety one, ninety two. So I would have been, oh, well, good, good. I can't have to work it out now. It's twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah. And then uh, the I think the one that the, the one race that did it that really did it for me was there was a there was a like a masters race on at Mandela where race of the year, but it might have been called back then. And just because of the nature of the circuit, Mandela is quite a tight circuit was before the extension into the international circuit that yeah. they have now but it, 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 it always made for great meetings at the end of the year all the English guys came over and Scots and all our top guys and I managed to win the, the main race of the day on a 250 uh, on on the QB 250 and uh, and I guess you know Joe Miller who had his own team in GPs was watching and just happened to be anywhere I went, I'd bump into Joe, I'd see him quite a bit. And we did a couple of European meetings, as I said, you know, and didn't really shine. Maybe had a fifth or a sixth at a European meeting. Crashed at Mandela Park the, the time that Woolsey Calder won it on a QB250 when he beat Max Biagi. Mm -hmm. That must have been 92, I think, 91 or 92. And, uh, 
you know, that's really, at that stage, I, I was just happy to, to continue racing and try to focus a little bit more on the British Championship in the next year. Uh, you know, and all, unbeknownst to me, I think, you know, Joe was, was, was thinking about trying to line me up to put me on his 500 GP at Yamaha. Yeah, that's uh, how small a world it is. Back then, Joe Miller was running a 500 Grand Prix team and he uh, was based 10 minutes from my home that's in Northern yeah. Ireland. So we always knew of, of Joe uh, growing up. He was a friend of my, my dad's as well. And that was um, a step, a foot in the door for a lot of riders at that time, Eddie Laycock before. And then I'm guessing Eddie was riding at the time whenever uh, Joe Miller was then keeping an eye on who was the, the next prospect coming through. So you said you'd you'd move from Ireland and then uh, went to start winning some races in England. Do you remember those first few races in England? How terrifying it was whenever you'd ridden uh, these kind of airstrip tracks in Ireland, the flat <laughs> Kyrgyzstan or Bishop's Court, and then the first time you went the Brands Hatch and realised, what the hell? There's yeah. blind corners here. Are you meant to know where you're going? Yeah, I think that my first main fright was was going to Cadwell Park, and. Uh, as you say, you know, blind over crest stuff, um, jumps um, through, you know, wooded areas that were basically like going through, you know, a, a park. Um, you know, we were, I was staying away from the roads because I knew, you know, that I was a crasher and I, I wouldn't have had much chance had I gone road racing. And then I turned up at Cowhill Park and to me it was just like a road race or yeah. Olden Park, it was quite like a road race. But yeah, I, I, I Definitely, really loved the, the 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 flowing nature of the of those tracks. You know, we we raced any chance we got. We went over. We we raced entry and you know Mallory Park and, and you know Brands, as you say, was was brilliant. Um, my first visit to Donington completely blew me away. It felt like a motorway. You know, felt it, it was just it was just so much better than anything we ever had here. Tarmac wise, it was just smooth. Oh, it was perfect. It was just absolutely perfect. And I think that's what, I think then I got the bug more for, to, 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 to the, you know, loving circuits like that rather than the circuits that we've been brought up on here. We didn't know any better. You know, the circuits here were, they were just small and tight and nagery and, you know, bumpy. And, you know, the, the ones when we went racing in March, you know, they were covered in moss. And, uh, you know, and we, we did that, that was just the way it was. Then, uh, getting over and, you know, having a run around, uh, Donington and then managed to get it, managed to get into Silverstone and getting on the Silverstone, on the old Silverstone track yeah. really blew me away as well. And then, uh, you know, Brands Hatch, they just, there's just one after another. So we were continually going back and forward every weekend. I was getting off work on a Thursday, jumping in the works van and managed to convince uh, my employers at the time, which was Chubb Electronics, to that, that I needed a, a van for, for you know, as, as my company car. And uh, they were very good with me. They, they, they helped a little bit, put the name on the side of the bike, and I went back and forward. Got back to work on Monday morning, so drove all night, Sunday night to get back home, start work again on Monday morning. Um, that's that's how much we were enjoying it, you know. That's how much we felt that we, you know, it was worth it. <laughs> and and sometimes, you know, I'd, on the way back, I remember you know having to lie in the back injured while somebody else drove drove the van because I'd I'd give myself a, a bit of a beating over the weekend and you know trail myself back into work on Monday morning and uh, do it all over again the weekend after. That's something that's still going on nowadays. It's a little bit easier because um, a lot of uh, the Irish 
kids now that maybe they can leave their race van and their equipment over in England. But even when me and my brothers were coming through 15 to 20 years ago, it was our dad, thankfully, who was helping us out then, and he was driving across, and um, we'd do the weekend, and then you'd pack everything up, and there was always this mad rush to get to the ferry in Scotland, and that's something that people forget, that riders from Northern Ireland and, and uh, down south, we all have to make that extra trip across the water that makes it that bit tougher, and that's some serious commitment, especially whenever you were working, and then going to race, yeah. And Sunday night, you're already busted after racing motorbikes for a weekend, and then you're getting a ferry home, probably next to no sleep, and then up to work on Monday morning again. That's that's full commitment. Uh, it was, but you know there were there were ways of making it a little bit more economical. I remember traveling over in that van of of mine. Uh, you know you you wouldn't do it now, and you wouldn't get away with it. And you know it was it was probably pretty illegal back then, but we had eleven people in it. And four motorcycles. I thought uh, you were going to mention the colour of the diesel there. <laughs> no, no, it was always normal. Don't worry. Um, we never got away with that. But the the funny thing was that we had four packed in the front of the van. And, you know, you're only supposed to put three in the front of a van. We got rocked up to the down to Lauren Harbour to get on the the boat, and they said, you know, how many have you got in the van? We're all sitting squeezed together. I said four. They said, do you mind if we look in the back? They opened the back doors. There's another seven sitting behind the motorcycles around two toolboxes. And, and uh, you know, of course, we then had to pay the extra. But we, that was a way of, of trying to share costs. You know, it, 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 there was lots of, of riders that were keen on, on getting across and, and racing over there because the circuits were so good. And, they, you know, the, the, the organisations over there were, were, were getting plenty of track time. So you know we just we're just getting better at our at, at racing because we we spent more time on the bike. You know you were basically riding all the time. So if we weren't racing here, we were racing there, and uh, that that obviously went a long way in helping you know to just to get better at at, at what we were doing. But uh, I remember trying to you know getting stopped at the place one time with overloading the van as well. You know and you know we had we had to. And I had to had to branch out and get somebody else's van the next time. I couldn't take any more points. <laughs> yeah, but it's still happening nowadays. Where in the British Championship, every time I turn on the TV on a Sunday, the amount of riders from uh, from Ireland is unreal. And I think they must see us turn up and just like, oh, not another bunch, because it's always the case. Whenever the Irish riders make a commitment to go over there, it's extra commitment. Um, you know, you're not. It's not something you're playing around not just driving down the road you've got to invest to go over there so you've you really make it work and I think that's uh, why the riders from Ireland always when they went to the British Championship they were always successful because that had that little bit extra hunger uh, Brendan Hartley did the previous episode a car racing driver from uh, New Zealand he had said the same you know they'd move from uh, the other side of the world yeah, it's a hell of a commitment mm -hmm. so I think that's part of the reason why us uh, Irish lot every time we go to England we tend to win yeah, I, 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 I keep getting asked that question of why they, why the Irish are so good over in on the mainland. I think it's just because they're absolutely their the determination. You know, they're a very determined race. You know, of, of riders from here that really put in. You know, go the extra mile. But you know, talking about back then the European races, we used to we also had to get ourselves all the way to Assen and Hockenheim. Oh, yeah. So we drove up to Assen quite a bit because we loved Assen. Once we realised, you know, we we found that we could get an entry in Assen in a European Championship. You know, that was like the to me that was like making it to the World Championship. 
back then. And then we got to Hockenheim on the on the old circuit in Hockenheim as well. So there, there, there was a lot of travelling back then, but uh, you know we felt it was it was fully justified. It was definitely worth worthwhile getting to ride on those circuits. And um, you know regardless of whether we ever thought we'd get any further than that, I'd have been happy just to have said I'd seen them and done that. But back then there was no sat nav, so. You had about a 10-foot map in the front of your van, I'm sure, and how many different currencies and all the border um, controls going across Europe. That was a different era even than uh, what I grew up in whenever I was uh, racing in Europe then. Yeah. Well, you, you, do you actually remember maps? You, would you have used maps back then? Or I did. Uh, I think myself and Pippa, we were going out just a few years and we travelled with a map. And the amount of fallen outs <laughs> we had, we realised we got to invest in a sat now, so... Thankfully, that's probably what saved the relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that all right. That's been through a few of those. The map reader always got on the neck, and it was usually it was usually Jill or one of the mechanics that took us the wrong way. But yeah, it it, it was a uh, definitely so so different days back then. But even then, you know, you probably just just with um, it, you could make it a little bit easier back then. Also, with talent rather than than with financially support you know with yep. uh, sponsors or, or buying your way into teams it was a completely different era then you know I guess I would never have made it had it not been for well first for you know my first sponsor paper shop in Ballyclare then Robert Fleck spotted me and giving me the QB 250 which then led on to Joe Miller spotting me and giving me Eddie Laycox ride uh, at the end of 92 and you know, I was more surprised than anybody whenever I, I got the phone call to say, can you come up and want to get a chat? And I'm thinking, well, what would he want to chat to me about, you know? Because he only had a 500 V4 Yamaha in in World Championship. You know, Joe also had a lot of uh, road riders, supported lots of road riders over the years at the TT in Northwest 200 Ulster Grand Prix, etc. But I never had ridden any of those road races, so it was kind of um, daunting going up to meet Joe for the first time and I'm saying uh, can you um, you know can you come racing in world championship next year I, th- I was wondering how I would manage to hold my job down with you know with my electronics job with, with job and go racing and, and he said no you don't really understand you have to give your job up to go racing and uh, I'll pay you the same as what you get paid for for what you do with you with your your your, your your job and I, I thought that that's that, that's that's incredible yeah you know I would have jumped at it probably for half that but you know he offered me kind of the same as what I was getting paid and I jumped at it you know not realizing what what I'd taken on and that was a you know for me I think the biggest surprise was being very confident and running at the front at Irish level and over in the UK at BSB being able to I was also riding a an Oxford Products Ducati and you know managed to get it, it up onto the front and at podiums and stuff at Silverstone and and, and Donington and I, and I thought surely GPs can't be any more difficult than what we're doing <laughs> and I'm sure you were the same when you first went you know you thought how much more different can it be from, from what we're doing and that was a big big eye opener you know the first time I, I rocked up to Earth, um Joe said, we have to get to Hereth, so you've got to drive the motor home from Randallstown to Hereth. 
Is it, that's a straight road, the Rumble's down to Hareth uh, well, waterway? I just thought, well, yeah, it must, must be okay then. I mean, he must have done that a few times. So what we'll do, we'll just, just, is that, we'll just get the boat over, land bridge across to the next one, way we go. So just myself and Joe Miller jumped into the truck and uh, it's a horse box, you know, it was just a big, big old horse box with, with the bikes in the back of it. Joe Miller was uh, the transport company Transport well, company, so. yeah, yeah. And um, off we went. Like it's, a, it's like a four-day drive or something or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, after, uh, I'm sure he, he would never mind me saying this, but, you know, after the first 10 miles, I was so scared as a passenger with Joe that I thought, I'd better drive this myself. So I ended up driving it all the way myself, <laughs> virtually without stopping, just stopping for fuel. And, and food and we got there and then you know you, you, you it was a 250 practice on at the time and it was Caparossi and Biaggi and uh, Reggiani I remember you know watching Loris Reggiani and names like that and Romboni and those guys and I'm thinking I, I'm definitely bitten off more than I chew just just about just just looking over the fence I thought at that stage I've definitely bitten off way more than I can chew here. This is if that's a two fifties going around here, what's what the five hundred's going to be like? Well, you jumped uh, straight into the top class. Uh, I, yeah, nowadays, true. kids will go through uh, Moto Three. By the time they've reached Moto Three, they're already world class because you've got to win the national championship and then step up to Moto Two and then uh, get one of the coveted Moto GP seats. So you drove a truck to your first uh, Grand Prix and hopped on the five hundred Yamaha just like yeah, that. Well, the next day, yeah. Got, Went to bed that night and you know, cooked some pasta and got up the next morning and jumped on a 500 and started riding around Hareth. You know, it, it, it just wouldn't happen now. And as you say, you'd, you'd have had to come through those those smaller classes to, to make it onto the, the premier class. But Yeah, there was privateer teams then and uh, it was easier to get a slot on the grid and maybe not just as expensive as what it is to, to lease uh, machinery now. Oh, absolutely. But still, you know, huge costs, you know, you know to, to buy those Yamaha... Um, customer engines and keep them running. You know, they're quite difficult to keep them running. With plenty of seizures, you know, plenty of um, mm. high sides because of you know lockups and stuff. Um, gearboxes, you know, were the other thing that were that were their weakness. And of course, we you know we never uh, counted up mileage as you do now. On, on it. we just kept using the same parts over and over again. Uh, wheels, you know, carbon wheels that were flexing and bending and all kinds of things. But we just didn't know any better back then. But I mean that was that that's kind of what we did. Then we just drove from really from race to race. So from working flat out, you know, having holding a nine to five down to just going and driving around Europe in a in a motorhome and staying from at, you know going find a campsite before the next race, going do a bit of training, um, take a bicycle, whatever it might be, and then turn up to the next event and go racing again and then back home uh, when did you meet Jill were you already uh, together with Jill before you went Grand Prix racing yeah, did yeah you guys... we were already there yeah, yeah. so that was a big change as well then a huge change yeah because she was, she was still holding a job down over here you know she was an air hostess at the time and I was just travelling all over all over Europe you know it didn't it wasn't really kind of fair you know that, that we didn't have the kids at that time but we were just um, we were basically just going from from I was going from race to race and flying home the odd time and uh, then in the next couple of years, well, in the beginning, that first year, after one year and really beating myself up, I crashed. I don't think I finished the, in the first, I'm sure I didn't finish the first eight races. You know, through crashing, through overtrying, through 
maybe a, a mechanical failure thrown in or whatever it might have been, but eight or nine races, I, I can't remember scoring a point. Did nothing at all. So at the end of the year, I came home and said, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to work. I, I can't do this. And it was Jill who convinced me to stay. She said, no, you've, you've made the commitment. You, you need to stay now. And, uh, you know, I realised that I probably wasn't fit enough either. You know, you, you don't, nothing prepares you for a world championship. And the temperatures as well. Yeah, in Malaysia. I remember going training, you know, our testing in Malaysia. It was horrendous. Uh, I, it, there was a, a lot of things that, that that I didn't, I kind of just wasn't wasn't ready for, and then end of the year I beat myself up quite badly, and you know I got carpal tunnel problem with my my left hand and couldn't actually see where it was on the handlebar during the race, you know I had to keep looking down to see that my hand was still on the on the bar, I knew it was just going to end up in a something severe was going to happen had it, if it didn't get it fixed, so. Went and got that sorted out and came back and the year after was a much better year. You know, I had about six or seven top ten uh, finishes consecutively and, you know, finished well up in the championship for a privateer, 12th or something in the championship for a privateer. So happy that uh, I came back and, you know, because lots of riders that I raced against back then, you know, John Reynolds and those guys who, who were British champions um, didn't, didn't get it any longer out of it. And, you know, I was... I feel very lucky to have had as many years out of it as I did because, you know, I could have easily walked away after that year. Yeah, well, I think uh, one thing that separated you from them back then, still to this day, is how determined you are after crashes and all the rest. Even when I saw you this year at the Northwest 200 and you'd won the race at uh, mid-50s, we'll say 55 years of age <laughs> yeah. now, and uh, you'd, uh, you had a crash at the Northwest and you'd bust yourself up and you were limping in and your hand was all smashed up and you still went and won the race. So that just uh, shows your determination that you would have had then. I can't imagine, I'd say you were even uh, more strong-willed back then. Yeah, I, I think we were, we were probably a bit daft, to be honest. You know, <laughs> there, was, there was opportunities I was given to sit races out, but I always imagined that if you sat a race out that somebody would just step in and take your place. I remember, you know, this finger that I don't have any longer, it was so badly injured that when I went to Australia, um, Joe had brought another replacement rider to step in if I couldn't ride. So so just for, you know, bloody badness, I just I just thought, I'm not I'm not giving him a ride. I don't care if he's travelled all the way across the world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride it anyway. And it damaged the finger even more until it became sort of kind of subluxed. And then and then the, the joint fused after that. And then, yeah, I lost it a number of years after that. But yes, probably, uh, you know, not the most sensible way to approach it. You know, riders can can take a little bit of time off now without the fear of losing their their, their seat. Back then... You wouldn't have had a signed contract, I wouldn't imagine, back then? No, it was a gentleman's agreement. It was a handshake, yeah. you know. It was, uh, OK, well, well, I'll pay you this and uh, if you can come and... And you know, work for me, race for me. Yeah, it really was a it was a gentleman's agreement. Yeah. So nowadays, if we get injured, we have a contract to ride with the team for the year. So we know if there's a few rounds uh, that riders just a replacement rider. Back then, if somebody did hop on your bike and went out there and get better results than you, you were history. You, you, weren't you, you? you lose your yeah. You just lose your ride if that was the case. Um, you, you're only as good as your last ride, and you know that that that's it went from year to year that way. You know, you never never ever had a two year contract in my life. It was really let's see how we go on this year, and if if you, if we do okay, we might get a ride next year. 
sometimes those contracts didn't appear until maybe end of January in, in the year that we were start, yeah. supposed to be racing in. So, yeah, a lot of sleepless nights and, and, and not, a, not a great way to, you know, to live really from contract to contract. But I'm sure you're, you're still going through it yourself. You know, you know that it's, uh, it's more difficult even now to, to keep hold of a contract. Yeah, every year uh, is, is different, I guess. Um, then you were saying it would be January of that year that you would be signing a contract. Now in MotoGP, sometimes they will sign uh, January the year previous. <laughs> Isn't that the crazy thing before you've even um, proven what you can do in well, that I think that I think that's the worst thing about it because, you know, the rider well, doesn't really have to prove himself anymore. We're continually having to prove ourselves right to the very last meeting in the hope that a contract was going to come from that. And... I think if you're given a contract four or five races before that or six races, well, you know you don't really have to try, do you? You just you basically can see it out. You don't need to hurt yourself, um, except for your own ego. You know you want to win races, but if if the contract's in front of you and it's 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 uh, it's a lovely valuable contract, the other side of it is you know why should I hurt myself if I've got this contract for next year because I need to keep myself fit for next year? Yeah. Uh, to me, it's 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 definitely not the way I would like it. I think. To keep to keep the rider hungry, it should be that those contracts should be coming later. Yeah, like a transfer window. That mm-hmm. would be ideal, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you um, did a couple of years with Joe Miller in five hundred Grand Prix uh, on the Yamaha, and then another two years with QUB then in five hundred as well, wasn't it? Yeah, we did three years with Joe, and we moved um, actually four years in total with with QUB coming in on that last year with um, Optimum Power Technology. And then we realised that, that 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 the five hundred machinery was getting sort of so uncompetitive for the privateers that the two fifties were much closer. So you could you could buy a, a kit two fifty, whether it be Honda or even you know the the, the Prillias were were way more expensive for the kit. But the but the kit Honda stuff looked to me to be near on par in two fifty class. So. Quite strange, you know. We do see riders coming back from MotoGP and the Moto Two now as well, but uh, that was something new back then. You didn't see many riders moving from five hundred back to two fifty back then. I moved back into two fifty. Can't think of many other riders that did, but that that's that kind of saved the career. Yeah, that was a pivotal moment, wasn't it? It was for me. It was definitely the it was the best thing we we ever ever could have done. But we did try. We bought a twin. And we realised quite quickly that the twin 500, should I say, when I was with um, Miller and then QB uh, Team Optimum, we, we tried the twin and then a rock Yamaha. And we just could not be competitive as, you know, with, with the, you know, the factory machinery. We were just nowhere. And, and the, really the privateer championship or the customer championship, whatever you want to call it, didn't really amount for much. So the 250... Was was a big, definitely a big thing for me jumping back on a two fifty. Absolutely loved riding the two fifty. Still, I think to this day, as you know yourself, you know, you've ridden them. Probably the best all around motorcycle, power to weight ratio, everything about it. Uh, and it, I think it really brings you you on as a rider. You know, you you, you learn so much from riding the two fifty. And immediately we were fast on a factory. Sorry, on uh, on a customer two fifty, the TSR chassis. 97 and 98 you know, and I need to go back and look at what, what my results were but I think we finished 6th in the World Championship on, on one or seven, or eighth, maybe it was 8th or ninth actually in the, on the early days and then 6th later on in Aprilia but that was for me the, the 
all of a sudden we're you know we're fighting for front row positions, podiums, um, and factory Hondas weren't any quicker. And of course, I thought if I keep doing this, I'm bound to get a a two fifty you know factory Honda. Yeah. Keep 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 these results up. That that never happened. It, it didn't happen for one reason or another. You know, one of them was probably that in '95 I was given a a, a, a run on. McDoon's bike for a magazine to do a magazine article and I didn't come back in again I stayed out and the Japanese weren't too impressed with it so I, <laughs> I was supposed to ride Okada's 250 that day later on and I didn't get to ride the 250 you'd upset them I'd upset them a wee bit so um, and, and uh, McDoon was there at the time and he you know he was laughing his legs off when he came in there and uh, I got pretty close to his time you know the only thing was I was just trying to get close to Mick's time yep. and I came back in and he said oh you Japanese aren't very happy with you. They're right on the track, actually, but you know, begging me to stop on the track, and um, maybe that's why I never got after that. I never got a two fifty, a factory two fifty ride. You know that, that we thought we deserved, but as you know, in racing, you know, nothing's a given. Nothing's deserved. You know, it doesn't matter what you think you've done. And uh, you know, luckily, Aprilia were able to help out. We've got a two fifty Aprilia. Um, you know, again had a couple, of really couple of really good rides on that. You know, ninety eight on the Honda, I was second at Saxon Ring. Um, then you know we had podiums and uh, front row starts on the two fifty Aprilia. Um, then we finished sixth on that one, I think. And then I went and asked Aprilia, you know, could we get the factory two fifty? And that was you know a funny story. We flew, went all the way over to Nawali, myself and my manager, a good friend of mine, True Wiley, and. Walked in thinking, yeah, you know, you, we've definitely done enough for a two fifty factory bike now. This is, you know, we're, there's no way that you know we 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 haven't done enough. They've got to give us one. But there were so many good two fifty riders, and most of them were Italian. Obviously, at the time, you know, Rossi being one of them, and um, you know, Cavarossi and Harada, and you know, all all of those great riders that were that that were on the Italian bike at the time, and we thought, well. There'll be room for us. Went in, sat down in the boardroom. They just said, "No, you definitely can't have a two fifty." Wow. And uh, we were just completely devastated. And uh, they, you know, as the Italians do, they went out for lunch and came back about two hours later, you know, and walked in the room and said, "Well, we're going to give you a five hundred instead." So, wow. <laughs> so that got me back onto the. And that's the, how the five hundred ride came about. That's, after that's, that, then. Yeah, that's how it came about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we we were about to walk out. I remember sitting in that office, you know, Jan Vidifin and. They, they, they were all there, I got up, they walked out, went for lunch. Drew and I were left to our own devices and I just said, I'm not waiting any longer, you know. I've had enough of this, let's go. Let's go and grab a flight and go home. And he convinced me to stay and uh, when they walked back in again, with, uh, I got the 500 factory pretty so it was worth hanging around for for an extra 10 minutes, whatever it was, and got a great contract with it and stayed with you know, And, and I've been with the Perilla on and off the next couple of years, you know, back on a 250 the year after because uh, of, a, of an issue just with a, a sponsor that didn't that didn't weigh in and I had to go back on a 250 with them and that that that, that was 2001 whenever Dieter Stabbard uh, took me on um, with a pretty Germany got the win you know got the, the 250 win then in Aston on that bike and uh, a great you know worked with some great people you know Mike Leitner who's now with KTM um, that ride led on to riding with Kenny Roberts in 2002, you know, with Tom O'Kane uh, heading up the 
the, the crew chief, uh, he was crew chief at that point, and some great mechanics with, with Kenny, obviously, at the time, Warren Willing was about then, so 2002 and three was with Kenny on his 500 triples, uh, and the, the V5 uh, four-stroke, you know, that wasn't very successful, but you know, a lot of uh, innovative ideas that, that came along from Formula One at the time that they they brought to the into the team, and then uh, 2004 back with the factory of Prilly again on the cube. So quite a diverse, you know. Yeah, it wasn't your usual uh, route, definitely, well, compared to what we see nowadays. And whenever I was watching as a kid, I would have watched uh, the races along with my dad because of the the Joe Miller 500 Grand Prix team. He was a friend of my dad's. Ten minutes down the road. You were watching, sorry, you were riding and we were watching every Sunday, but like you said, we would have only dreamed of a, a guy from Northern Ireland winning a race back then. It was like, uh, can he score a point? And then, yeah, he did. And then step by step, I don't think you realise at that time what uh, you were starting. You really opened the door. 1998, would say, that race where you got on the podium at Saxon Ring. So I was only 12 years old. My eldest brother, Michael, started road racing. And then Jeremy McWilliams gets on a podium uh, against the likes of Valentino Rossi. And see, for kids from Northern Ireland that, yeah, we're not usually cocky. We don't really believe that we can achieve that. And then suddenly one of our own has done that. Wow, that, yeah. that changes things. Then we realise, wow, maybe one day we can. And then again, the year 2000, that um, for me, the best ever race day at Donington Park was because of your race, the one that you had along with uh, Valentino Rossi and Kenny Roberts oh, yeah. battling on the 500 and then also the Ralph Waldman uh, 250 Grand Prix win that day. It was just the best day. I remember watching that. But, um, that was 2000, yeah. 2000, yeah, that was the year 2000. Yeah. So yeah. I hadn't even started road racing by then. So um, what you were achieving then, that's I think that is a big part of what now myself and Johnny Ray are achieving on the world scene because then we realised maybe we could do it. You probably didn't even think about it at that time. You were just climbing the ladder without um, stopping to think. Yeah, I just really had no kind of, uh, you know, ideas or, or, or um, I think if, if, if you were to ask me back then, where do you think, you know, it would go? I, I, I couldn't have told, you know, you, as you said, winning that Grand Prix, running the front at Donington with, with Valentino, you know, beating Valentino and Cap Rossi at Saxon Ring, you know, all of those things, you know, I would, I would have said, you know, that would, that would be a, a dream come true if it happened. But, you know, the reality at the time was I, I, I probably didn't believe myself that 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 would have, you know, would have been possible. And I think the once you, I think like anything, you know, like yourself and like to have Jonathan and yourself have moved on, become successful, you know, that definitely once you get a little sniff at it, you the confidence gets better and. And you you do become a little bit, have a little bit more self belief, but it does take like one of those results to to, to kind of you know give yourself that um, kind of that reality that check that you can possibly run with the front guys even even if the machinery is not absolutely as equal. And I think that was kind of something that I've I've been labelled with my whole career is that yeah you know, you've never had the same machinery but. I think that works in your favour sometimes. It kind of makes you work harder, makes you try harder. And You're the underdog, you, aren't you? The underdog actually is a nicer way to, to try to do it because there's, you know, there's actually no, um, there's no pressure because you're not really on a on, on same machinery. So if you can manage to, to achieve something on, on lesser machinery, then it's a big positive. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, so different compared to Bradley Smith's story. So that's why I wanted to, interview you second um it's been pretty cool hearing the story like i said i 
didn't really know how you started out. Um, I was curious to hear a lot right through, completely different um, path than what the rest of us had. But you started something great, look at uh, Northern Irish are doing now. Not just a motorbike racer, I think it is the same. Look at the golfers, that kind mm. of mentality that you explained there about needing that big uh, result to kind of believe in yourself. Yeah. Once you get that, then um, I think because we're so, we are grounded, that once we see we can achieve it, we're usually quite consistent then, whereas some of these other guys that are a little bit cocky, they're a little bit more up and down. You see Johnny Ray now, he's a, he's a hard bugger to beat because he believes in himself so much. Every weekend, week in, week out, he's there. And that's part of the Northern Ireland uh, mentality, I think. It is. It's very typical with John. And, that, you know, and anybody that's that elite like yourself, anybody that's made it from here, you know, you can see that there's definitely um, a want or something something with with the you know the sporting characters from here, as you've said, that um, that's, they, uh, they have a... It's not. It's not. It's not confidence, you know, or self belief. It's determination, mm. and 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 I think that's what what gets there in the end. Is you know, if you're determined and stick at it long enough, you know, you can achieve anything, as Jonathan's proved. And uh, you know, even whenever everything's stacked against, you know, you, you can't let it get to you, as he's proved as uh, again this year. Yeah, he never gives up. Just don't give up and keep keep going. But yeah, I I've I've found it very difficult to give up. I'm still racing on and off and, <laughs> and I don't know whether when or whether that will stop or how how I'll manage to to drag myself away from it. You know, the Northwest two hundred this year was a lot of fun, even though, you know, I'd i give myself a bit of a bashing on the on the Thursday stupidly from touching the grass and uh, I kinda hurt myself just on, on a a little silly and noxious crash, uh, as 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 you know, usually happens. So I was pretty happy to get back and race again on Saturday. But there's nothing replaces it. Nothing in this world kind of gives you the buzz that standing on the podium or running at the front uh, at a race like an international like that or wherever it might be. You know, I've, I'm lucky enough to get invited to places all over the world that are still quite iconic, you know, racetracks and, and big enough events, you know, and getting to race, you know, Hickey and um, Dan Lindford and, uh, you know, all, you know, Connor Commons and John McGuinness that come down and did the international at Phillip Island, you know, they that that's also as much fun now to, to go out and run at the front of that as it would be, believe it or not, run at the front of a GP. And, <laughs> and you know, it, it doesn't sound like it should be, but I think we, we just get such a... Uh, Maybe a lot of a, a big high from you know from competing that it's difficult to, to turn that off and stop and go and do something else. Nah, I think you're you're living proof that age is just a number. I think um, you know there's guys forty forty five that uh, retire and, and stop being active. Um, I'd like to be still doing what you're doing whenever I'm uh, in my fifties. I just don't know whether my wife uh, Pippa will agree <laughs> with that or not. But um, let's see one day. You may uh, pack it in and uh, Valentino. Look at Valentino now, you know. Yeah. I, 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 when I was still running in GPs at 40 in 2004. Yeah, that was something back then, whenever they were speaking about that, that was a big thing, the fact that you turned 40 still in GP. Yeah, I think, that, you know, at that point, you know, everybody wanted rid of me, and I said, you know, you can't keep doing that forever, you know, that's when the, maybe the contract started to drive away as well. And that's part to do with the age thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, look at Valentino, he's proving... It, that actually he can beat his teammate regularly in in race situation, and he's a lot lot older than his teammate, and his teammate looks super fast, you know, everywhere in in qualifying, free practice, testing, whatever it might be, 
Valentino has a, puts a race face on at that age at 40 and can still achieve what he's doing. So, you know, I think that, as you said, the age should be a number if, if the rider's determined enough to put the work in. What do you think? Should I keep going until uh, keep going. 55 and that's it? 33, yeah. I've, I have a ton of time left yet. Has <laughs> been 33 already? Well, I'm 33, I'm getting on now. You've had a hard paper, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, well, thanks for that, Jeremy. That was good. So, um, yeah, thanks for giving me a bit of your time. So, next time we'll see each other, it might be uh, the Goodwood Revival. Are you going there this year? Well, I hope you're, you've got, you're going to bring the race face with you. I'm riding at 1962 Manx Norton. And uh, they said they made right hand gear shift. They said, Are you okay with that? I said, I am. Indeed. Same as mine. Exactly the same as mine. Had you ridden one before? Yep, right hand gear shift. Well, Uh, when you started doing it at at the Goodwood Revival, but they are, these bikes are so original that they basically keep them as they were back then with the right hand gear shifts and everything, which makes it difficult because I struggle with left hand braking (laughs) because it just just goes against the grain, you know. but sure, that's the, that's the bikes you started out racing on back then. <laughs> <laughs> was it not? Yeah, not quite. No, no. But, just then. Yeah, but, but here, listen, that's, that is the one of the best meetings of the year, and it's as competitive as really? you will get. Danny Pedrosa turning up this year. Uh, you'll find that it's, you'll, you'll work as hard on this bike as you will at World Super Bike. <laughs> oh dear well it'll be a bit of fun on the way looking forward to a weekend away good cheers for that Jeremy you're welcome thanks so much yeah.